Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on this show is Ilya Rechter, who is joining me to talk about Bitcoin mining or starting a Bitcoin mining firm, a company. He's the founder and CEO of Megawatt Mining, based out of Indiana, and we'll get into all of that story out of the US. He's the main and lead sponsor for Adam Gleason, who's been on the show uh, a few months back now. He's a professional racing car driver and good friend and was orange-pilled by uh, Ilya. And uh, we get into what, what goes into starting a Bitcoin mining company and how is that changing and making a difference to a community which has been depleted over time with the, uh, the move forward and away from uh, the industrial and, and factory kind of townships that uh, were out where he was living and how he's transformed these old warehouses into, uh, into providing jobs and being able to mine Bitcoin. Incredible story. Thanks for coming on, Ilya, and reach out if you are interested in hosting with those guys because they do offer that service as well. Now, before we get into the show, as always, a few shills for the show sponsors. Are you stacking sats in the US of A? If not, you should be. Swan.com is the place to go. They have the full suite of services. They, they can help you stack 10 bucks a week, 10 bucks a day, or they can help you put on a huge amount of size or switch your retirement as well and get your business up to speed. So that's swan.com. In Europe, we have Relay, R-E-L-A-I.ch. They offer all of those same services and it's an app that you can download today, right now, in less than a minute and smash by up to 1,000 Swiss or equivalent of Bitcoin per day. And they've just announced Lightning Integration. So get over to Relay, check out the app, hit the link in the show notes, use the code BITTEN for both SWAN and Relay, and you'll save on commission, or you'll get free 10 bucks in the case of SWAN. Hoddle Hoddle are a global peer-to-peer trading and lending platform. Very well known in the space. If you want to go completely KYC free, this is the place to head to. Hit the link in the show notes, you will save on commissions. Get over to Hoddle Hoddle right now. Right. Wasabi Wallet, what do they do? It's a coin join service. What is a coin join service? Well, there's a few providers out there and it basically helps you break your connection to the app or the exchange where you have bought that Bitcoin. Makes it more private. WasabiWallet.io is the place to go. Just simply download the software, create your first wallet, hit the receive button and draw some Satoshis off of one of those services watch the coin join happen, and then get it into your cold storage. So cold storage, that's when you need your Bitbox, your Bitbox 02, which is Bitcoin only hardware wallet, completely offline. This is where you can safely store your Bitcoin or uh, use it as a signing device, depending on which language you prefer. But this is the best way that you can keep your Bitcoin safe and accessible only to you. Then head over to mempool.space to check out the mempool, what's going on the blockchain. You can track those transactions. 
mempool.space. Enjoy this rip with Ilya. All right, Ilya. Yeah, we, we were just talking about Bitcoin merch and your roller coaster guy in the background there. So for those for those that want to see it, give us give us the full view there. there so at my old office, I actually had it rotating. So depending on the price, I could actually flip it. I haven't right. gotten that mount yet for this office, but ah, I'll work on it. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we were, we were also talking about the uh, the mempool the mempool uh, t shirt, one of my faves. Uh, Thank you, Mempool, for all of the merch and education and everything that you do. Uh, and you got underneath there your Megawatt T-shirt with the uh, the BMW. I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've got a little Bitcoin logo there too. <laughs> Love it. And uh, what that's for Adam's car. But maybe you should uh, say why you're wearing that and your affiliation with uh, motor racing. Sure. Well, first of all, Daniel and Lauren, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to, to chat with both of you today. Um, my, my story with racing, I, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, which is the racing capital of America, at least. Funny enough, I'm not a racing guy myself at all. Adam is a, is a good friend, one of my best friends for many, many years. And he's actually a mining client of ours at my company, Megawatt. We do Bitcoin mining. So one day he came to me and said, hey, I... I'm going to be a race car driver. I'd like a sponsor. <laughs> Would you be interested in sponsoring? So I really didn't have much of an analysis where we're not a venture-backed company or anything like that. We're bootstrapped. So it was as simple as a phone call between two friends. And I said, hey, I will always bet on friends. So sure, this sounds very cool. I don't know much about racing, but it sounds like a lot of fun. And if we can put a giant Bitcoin logo on the hood and a little bit of uh, Bitcoin decals around the car, I think it would be very cool to spread the word of Bitcoin and I'm all about that. So it was a win-win, even if we never saw a return on our investment that way. But to my surprise, going to the races, they're phenomenal. Being in the paddock, meeting all the drivers, you're sitting with a driver who's actually a Bitcoiner. He's talking about BIPs and racing strategy five minutes before he hits the track, which is absolutely crazy. Um, we brought friends and clients and prospective clients to their races and they've had a lot of fun. So he's orange pilled a lot of his pit crew and racing team. So our joke is that I'm better. We're neither one of us are salespeople. So I'm better at selling racing, racing sponsorships than he is. And he's better at selling Bitcoin mining hosting slots. So it's been, a, it's been a lot of fun and it's all going to culminate this season actually in Indianapolis. Uh, we're hosting just a Bitcoin club event, uh, October 6th through 8th called Bitcoin race weekend. So mega while we've paid for it all. There's no strings attached. Just, for any Bitcoiners that are into hanging with other Bitcoiners and racing, it'll be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway here in a few weeks. Oh, awesome. Did, did you get the event listed on Orange Pill app? I believe it is, yeah. Okay, excellent. Because then um, then the, the plebs can find it there as well. It's a great way for people to find events and, uh, and individuals, you know, and, and each other. So, Lauren, out of all of that, is there any kind of question that you want to throw out there? Is there anything that you're interested to learn about from Ilya? Any part of his life, his journey? What are you thinking? Why did you start a Bitcoin mining company? That is a good question. I've had my wife and many friends wonder the same thing. <laughs> um, so I would say I'm two things at heart. I'm a Bitcoin maxi. So I, I want a way to stack sats and I'm an entrepreneur. So I, I ran a business before my current one for about 10 years, having nothing to do with Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining. It was software for public transit. 
And upon selling that business and exiting, I basically spent a year wondering what I was going to, to do with my life. And I wanted to stack sats in the meantime. So Bitcoin mining was kind of a, a natural idea there because if I could find a cheap enough power, there was a way to essentially dollar cost average into Bitcoin using mining. So there's a story behind that I'm happy to get into, uh, but ultimately I built Megawatt for selfish reasons, just to stack sats, opened it up to a few friends and family members and scaled it from there. But as much as that's been fun and it's you know, a, a good Bitcoin mining business, I've become equally passionate since then because we're in this rural community in Indiana that frankly just hasn't been doing well for the last few decades. There used to be a lot of automotive manufacturing in the area. People all worked at this General Motors plant about 20 minutes from town. They shut down a few decades ago. The town is in decline. Um, so we went in there. We actually found this location where there was a 900,000 square foot warehouse that an employee, I think in 1994, got upset and torched it, just burned it to the ground. So it's just been sitting there. It looks like a bomb went off for the last almost you know, 30 years. And we went in there. There's electrical infrastructure left over from what the warehouse used to be. There's all this electrical infrastructure in the area from the automotive manufacturing that used to be there. But the town is in decline where buildings on main streets have just fallen and collapsed from neglect since we've been there. And we're helping rebuild it. So it's actually, I think, a really cool opportunity to have something physical come out and positive out of Bitcoin beyond just what we think about sovereignty and financial independence. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, we'll get into all of that in a second. So yeah. well, thank you for your question. Did you have any follow-ups? Oh, thank you so much. Um, no, I don't, I don't think so, no. Okay. Anyways, yeah, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Lauren. Bye. Man, that is that that is awesome. So, yeah, you, you, you. you're right. Is to to be able to see that kind of physical knock-on effect. Um, the Bitcoin, you know, starting a Bitcoin company as as you have done, can have on society around us because a lot of us see the advantages of adopting a Bitcoin standard and how that could impact so many different people's lives in so many different ways. Right. So. How many people do, do you have working at the facility? Like, have, how many jobs have you created there? I, so we're four full-time and then two, three part-time actually now. So it's small in terms of headcount, um, but all of the help we have locally, it's all local help, uh, local people with forklifts, local people for electricians, local people for the site itself um, that we've hired. So everybody is local to Indiana, but then we've hired specific to that city, which is a very small town. We've tried to hire all of our labor there and team members. All right, man. I had no idea. Like, obviously I knew uh, the story of like Detroit uh, and how that just mm -hmm. basically got cleaned out and is a rust belt. And, but the, the same thing happening in, in, well, in Indianapolis, you said. Yeah. It's not quite Detroit. And funny yeah. enough, I, I'm from Michigan, so I have a lot of ties to Detroit, familiar with that too. Um, but it's still the Rust Belt, right? There was a lot of manufacturing, both factories, automotive manufacturing in Indiana, in Ohio, and Michigan. These are all states that are close to each other. So there's a lot of factories that are abandoned and electrical infrastructure that's unused in all those states. All right. Well, as always, uh, the plebs listening, watching, they're always interested in how people found Bitcoin, you know, what was going on 
in mm-hmm. good old days of fiat mining or growing up, going to college, university, whatever. Sure. Uh, yeah, what what was your path? Where 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 do you think you were subconsciously primed for Bitcoin? What what moment or few moments in your life in the past do you think when when you realized after you take the orange pill, right? You can kind of connect all the dots all the way back for for mm-hmm. many many years. Do you have any examples of that? Like when you were growing up, that something for whatever reason didn't make sense to you? There's there's two stories that I'll tell. One is you know the actual Bitcoin story and how I got into actual Bitcoin. But the the more I thought about it, I think a lot of my life has been kind of leading me to Bitcoin without realizing what Bitcoin was, even before Bitcoin was a thing. Uh, I was born in Russia. Uh, my parents hated communism. Uh, they dealt with inflation in Russia to where one day their their savings could buy them an apartment. The next day it was a loaf of bread. And it was all controlled by this centralized entity that they really had no control over. So to their credit, and I'm genuinely forever indebted, they learned English. They got out of there in 91 as soon as the Soviet Union collapsed. Uh, we all left. So I think we were one of the first 100 families to get out of there just as soon as we could. Came over to America, uh, fortunately enough for me, where because I, I'm a twice entrepreneur now, that industry just doesn't exist. And definitely Soviet Russia, probably not Russia to this day. Uh, so from there, my parents, they never really played in the stock market much. They were all about saving. They bought what they could afford. Um, we didn't grow up rich by any means. So I learned financial responsibility and hard work from them. And then I, I started my first business. Like I mentioned, it was software for public transit. Imagine kind of Uber for buses. Uh, we didn't raise venture capital. It was bootstrapped. So in a very simple way, we wanted to build something that provided more value than it cost for people. And, and we didn't raise money and print money out of thin air. We invested our profits into building a better product. And eventually that kind of created this snowball effect rolling down a hill. So all of those things aren't Bitcoin, which just typical unit economics have to make sense. You can't just print money out of thin air. Uh, You have to run an honest business and provide true value. So in 2013, one of my co-founders there told me about Bitcoin. Uh, I didn't listen. And I regret that to this day, but I started kind of following it a little bit from there. In 2016, I I really, something clicked. I think it was a 21 million hard cap. Um, permissionless, uh, whatever it was, something clicked in my mind. And I really started researching Bitcoin in early 2016. Bought a little bit just so I could have some skin in the game, just on Coinbase, I think, small amount. But that motivated me to research it even more. And I, I fell hard down the rabbit hole in 2016. It started with price action, but I really got fascinated with how the mechanics of it worked. I built computers as a kid, so Bitcoin mining you know, came to the forefront in 2016 for me. Uh, but I didn't really invest that much at the time. In late 2016, early 2017, it was one of the times that, one of the first times I think China banned Bitcoin. I've done it however many times since, but they banned it and the price went down. And I thought that was kind of my moment to go all in. So January 2017, I I went all in uh, into Bitcoin uh, financially. And then I, as much time as I was already spending on it, I was spending even more time researching it, not trading it or anything like that. I, I knew early on I was a bad trader, so that wasn't for me. But just dollar cost averaging, buying chunks at a time at spot, nothing fancy. Um, and reali- I realized then that I was spending more time 
probably researching and learning about Bitcoin than I was running the, the business itself, which we had about 100, 140 people working there at the time. It was a good, fast growing business. So it was one of the main motivations in 2019 to sell that business. So I ended up selling it to Ford, um, worked there for a little while. And that was the first time I had any sort of means financially to do anything uh, beyond just running the business and trying to survive day to day. So that's when I started thinking, what do I want to do with my life? I invested in Bitcoin mining just as a form of passive income with other hosts. There's a story there, but that didn't work out at okay. all. So those machines got, got kicked out and sent back to me. And then it was this culmination of two things. I was deciding what I wanted to do next with my life. And I had all these miners that I'd invested six figures of my personal money into. They were sitting in a warehouse collecting dust. So I thought it was the perfect opportunity to merge the two and kill two birds with one stone. And then I started Megawatt. All right. So what happened? Why did the mining machines that you bought, like, what, why, what went wrong? Because I'm sure there are a lot of plebs out there that have either thought about doing this or looking that they're tracking the price of ASICs because they're low right now in, in comparison to mm. in the past. And there might be people out there like, yeah, let's just get a bunch and start mining and stacking those sats. So what went down? What, what was the problems? And, you know, we got, we got plenty of time. Yeah, I don't think my problems were unique. Uh, it was just a learning exercise. And everybody learns one way or another what a good host is, what a bad host is. So when I decided to do it, I was smart. I didn't want to put all of my eggs in one basket and pick just one host. I picked four. So I picked one in Colorado, one in Illinois, one in Pennsylvania, one in Kentucky. And my assumption was that two were probably going to suck. Uh, just statistically, it was still the wild, wild west. One would probably be okay. And my hope was that one of the four would do a really good job. Because keep in mind, I didn't want to start what is now Megawatt. I really just wanted passive SaaS. Buy some miners, buy some ASICs, send them to somebody, pay my bill every month in a fiat and get Bitcoin in return. So, so I, for, I hope to those, just consolidate. For those that it. might not understand yeah, what, what a hosting company is, that you, you bought a bunch of ASICs, let's say 100, you're going to give 25 to each host. Um, what, what is the host? What is the role of the host? So Bitcoin mining, if you're doing air-cooled, for example, uh, they're noisy to where you probably don't want to run 25 of them in your house. Certainly in my case, my wife was not happy with the idea. I had a newborn at the time too, so it wasn't going to work out. Uh, typically, residential electricity rates are higher per kilowatt hour. So your monthly bill in fiat is going to be higher if you do it at home versus a host can typically be, if they're smart, in an area with cheaper electricity and they're swapping out fans if something breaks or doing preventative maintenance, essentially keeping your units online so that it is a passive form of dollar cost averaging. At least that's how it should be. Okay, Not so, my experience originally. So what, okay, so now we know exactly what you've done. What went down? What happened? Any number of things. Almost immediately after sending my miners to these four hosts, either, keep in mind, this was during the bull run in 2019. Uh, so either they didn't own their own land and somebody came in and bought their land out from under them and kicked all of the miners out, or they didn't own their own facilities and their landlord thought that they were making all this money and they hiked up their rent 10 times to where it didn't make it financially feasible. Again, miners got kicked out. In some cases, it was the wild, wild west and people were just greedy to where these were people 
they claimed to be really proficient hosts, but they'd never run a business before where they wouldn't pay their bills on time. So the internet would go out or their power bill wouldn't be paid. And these are things the hosts not only should be doing, but doing well. And in this case, they were not doing the most basic things where the miners just weren't hashing. And I felt very stupid because again, my miners just got kicked out and sent back to me. I wasn't stacking sats and I had to explain to my wife what I'd invested a good chunk of our money into, which was not the most fun conversation, but she was supportive. Okay. And were these all the same kind of machine or were they a mix? I I tried different kinds of ASICs. So uh, at at this point, Megawatt, we're primarily Bitmain, um, S19 variants, and then we do some what's miners. I had originally, again, probably agreed, if I'm being honest, uh, bought some Canon Avalons because they were the similar terahash, similar efficiency, but lower price. And I regretted that decision and regret it to this day. So nothing personally against Avalon, but not not my favorite. Hmm. Okay. All right. So now you've got all of these miners uh, shipped back to you, um, eating a hole in your pocket. Uh, yep. You've you, you've got <laughs> you've got you've got a problem to solve. So naturally, that leads you to starting your own hosting company. Or was there something else uh, before you got there? I'd spent a year just researching different industries and different businesses. Um, it all just kept coming back to my passion in Bitcoin. That's just what I did in my free time anyway. And now I had this problem burning a hole in my pocket of these miners that I had to see every day doing nothing. So I decided to not necessarily even start a hosting company. I just wanted to solve my own problem. So I, I had a decent number of miners to where I didn't necessarily think I was going to host for other people. So I hired a consulting company to look at different states and energy rates and all of that. So looked at Wyoming, looked at Texas. I wanted to make it U.S.-based just because I, I live in the U.S. and I at least understand the laws a little bit better here than other countries. And there's less counterparty risk if I can go visit my site instead of going to South America or something like that. Um, eventually, I being in Indiana, I just have more contacts here and I'm more familiar with power companies and people here. So Indiana is not the cheapest, um, but it is affordable power rate. It's Our mine is about 40 minutes from where I'm doing this Zoom today, so I can personally go visit it all the time if I want to. And I just have more contacts from my previous company that I could have hired as team members and uh, other people I could meet at Bitcoin meetups and things like that here that are local. So I decided to do it in Indiana. And I, I told part of the story, but I essentially found some land and worked with economic development corporations because they had energy available and they had 400 acres available of land. And I said, hey, I'm in, I would like to buy, I think it was like two acres. Because Bitcoin mining, it consumes a lot of energy, but you don't need a lot of space for it. And these economic development people said, you know, we're not gonna sell you this land because we want Facebook or Amazon or Google to come in and buy all 400 acres. And I told them, I said, "Uh, who cares if, you hypothetically want that. They're not coming. You've had this deal you know, for the last 10 years. As Indiana, we've probably missed out on Facebook or Amazon or Google building a data center here. And I'm offering an opportunity where I'm local. I've stayed here after exiting a business and we'll probably use the same amount of electricity to where you'll get the same tax revenue or whatever you want. We just only need two acres instead of building this massive warehouse. And they refused to do it. So I pretended to be upset, which I was, but I made kind of a bigger deal about it than I probably should have. And I said, well, if you're not going to take my money to 
you know, sell me this land. It's your responsibility to find me something else. And they called me a few weeks later and they said, we think we found it. And it was this warehouse that had burned down in the small nearby city. And this was during peak uh, COVID times. So the landowner was this, at the time, I think 94, 95 year old guy. Uh, he, so he wanted a meeting during COVID and I, I offered to do a Zoom. He didn't know how to use Zoom. He wanted to meet in person. I wasn't sick or anything like that, but I also wasn't, didn't want to be responsible for potentially getting this 94 year old guy sick, and, <laughs> you know, killing him or something. But he insisted on a face-to-face meeting. So I, I drove up to meet him. I had walked the site probably a dozen times, scoped it out on my own before meeting him. So I was pretty much ready to sign and do the deal. But he insisted on driving me in his car, which was also kind of scary to be a passenger in a 94, 95-year-old guy's car. And we negotiated a deal. Uh, he he didn't believe in contracts. So he actually wanted to do a handshake deal. And he gave me this memento, this wooden duck to signify you know, we had done the deal which I still have and I thought was very cool. At the same time, I said, hey, we probably should get something in writing so that you know, one day this land doesn't get taken away from me. And he didn't use email, so he mailed me a contract. The contract, it looked like it was you know, 50 years old. It was on this like dot matrix scroll paper. Uh, one section that he didn't like, he took some super glue and a piece of paper and wrote a new you know, <laughs> provision in there. So I... I scanned this and sent it to our attorney, which he said, I have no idea what to do with this. So we ultimately had to redo everything from scratch, but eventually got the deal done and ended up building the site um, up there. Love it. I'll pause. I've got more to the story. Yeah. Yeah. But that's awesome that you you get to meet a based old timer that just wants to do business Mm -hmm. face to face on a handshake. Bring back those days. That that's absolutely. Absolutely. And then we we got started from there, uh, essentially trying to mine for ourselves, but we had to find transformers. We had to find either a warehouse or build a warehouse or shipping containers. I, I'm not an energy guy, although I've kind of been forced to become an expert in that field. But finding all the logistics and partners, how not to get scammed, we had to build that. But once we got going, uh, going back pre-Bitcoin just to my founder days, I, I still believe, and this is the advice I give any you know founders of other businesses, is you have to know how to sell for a business to be successful. That doesn't mean you have to be a good salesperson or pitch people, but you have to be confident enough in your product to either use it yourself or at least get close friends and family to use it if it's a consumer-based product. So in our business, I got my mom to be a client miner. I got my father-in-law to be a client miner. Uh, our team members, they have significant others that are mining, grandparents that are mining. And from there, it kind of grew organically. Adam had been mining, or the race car driver, Adam had been mining with one of the hosts that I had used previously. He had a bad experience, so he called me one day and said, hey, can you please take my miners? And it kind of created a snowball effect of referrals, and that's how we've grown the hosting business. So I, I'm not actively selling hosting spots. It's more just if people want to mine alongside us, when we have capacity, we open it up. How many do you have whirring in there at the moment? So we're approaching about 1,600 miners right now, but we're adding about 300 in a couple in about a month. Really? So about 2,000 soon. 300 yeah. of your own ones, or like that's new customers coming online, people wanting to to use your service. So it, the model has changed a little bit now that we've reached some level of industrial scale. Where I would love to run it purely in a Bitcoin standard. At the same time, the majority of the cost in running a Bitcoin mine 
is the power bill, which unfortunately is fiat. So what we do is we host enough clients to cover the fiat power bill every single month. And then any sort of margin we have beyond that, we don't take profits or anything like that. We just put it into our own ASICs and grow our own um, ASIC fleet. And any Bitcoin we get there, we try to hodl uh, to the extent that we can financially without expanding the site. And we try to grow our Bitcoin balance on our balance sheet from there. All right. Awesome. So other players in this space have not turned out to be uh, the best um, companies. Let's say uh, yeah. there's been uh, a lot of questions raised about Compass Mining in, in the past. Um, do you have any update mm -hmm. on that? Do you have any intel on, on what's going on with those guys? Are they still operating or are they completely closed down or closed down certain places? I, I have no personal ties to them and luckily never have. Uh, my somewhat random story with Compass is uh, when I was deciding what to do next before starting Megawatt, uh, I was looking to do some angel investing. And I talked to a lot of companies, but I hoped to find Bitcoin companies to invest in. And one of the conversations I had was with Whit Gibbs, who was the CEO of Compass. And he sent me his pitch deck and I was thinking about investing in Compass um, potentially as a client, but also potentially as an investor. And something seemed off. I can't pretend that I you know, could tell you then what it turned into, but something seemed off because the idea was, and somewhat is, Airbnb for Bitcoin mining. The problem is if you're just a middleman and you're not responsible in touching the actual sites themselves, and you're just selling slots at somebody else's site, you don't really have quality control. Right. If, if hypothetically, and we're never going to do this, but if hypothetically Megawatt became a farm for Compass and Compass was kind of the sales arm, what if we just did a really bad job? What, what could Compass do about that? Right. Um, they have very little control. So that seemed off, which is why I passed on the investment. And then obviously we've seen everything that's happened since. I, I don't think they're bad people. I think they mean well. I just think that it's a flawed business model because they don't have control. Mm. Okay. And what about some of the other companies that have fallen completely by the wayside? I think that's a fiat problem. So one of the reasons we want to be bootstrapped is because uh, I can sleep at night if, if I mess up and lose my own money. I don't like that, but I can sleep at night doing that. But once we take on investors or if we take on debt, depending on the interest rate, that's pressure that I can't control. And I can't control what the price of Bitcoin is going to do. I can't control what the difficulty is going to do. The halving will happen whether I want it to or not, right? So I, I like to just have sound principles in business. It's boring, but that's, I think, the responsible way to run a company, specifically in Bitcoin. Um, you take Core Scientific or you take some of these other really large mines. They took on crazy high debt. They took on crazy high debt at very high interest rates to where they need the price of Bitcoin to go up for it to make financial sense. And then using Core, I think this is true, but I've heard it as a rumor, so I can't 100% confirm. But I think they're one of their biggest clients, if not their biggest client for hosting, was Celsius. Like That's how Celsius was trying to produce a return, was through mining Bitcoin. So if you're a Core, you have high interest rate debt obligations. You have a publicly traded stock to where people can track all of the financials and your biggest client or one of your biggest clients has since turned out to be a scam in Celsius, but it was a centralized 
uh, risk profile. I, I don't understand how that was ever going to work. Ah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. So let's, my, my next question about hosting and um, mm-hmm. big facilities like this, what's the difference between uh, like a hosting service or offering um, like a pool service? Pool, like a, a mining pool? Yeah. So it's funny. This is actually one of the first Bitcoin, Bitcoin podcasts I've done. Usually I'm explaining the basics of what Bitcoin is and things like that. So here I can kind of dive into more granular detail. But with pools, if you're solo mining, which is the equivalent of kind of buying a lottery ticket, uh, if I if I plug a miner next to me here and I don't use a pool, I, I would say it's the equivalent of taking a shovel and digging for oil in my backyard. There's a non-zero chance that I, I strike oil, but statistically, I probably won't find it. So pools, they take some of that risk away, where depending on the, the payout methodology, you have brains pool or lugs or foundry, they, they all have slightly different ones, but you contribute your hash rate to a pool. And typically when they find a block, like in brains, when they find a block, you get paid your proportion to your contributed hash rate relative to the rest of the pool. Lugs and foundry are a little bit different where essentially they pay you out regardless of if the pool finds a block. Um, but it, it, the idea is similar. It, it eliminates some of the volatility where you're not going to have these peaks and valleys. You just kind of get a more predictable long-term fee. Um, that is what a pool is hosting. Our job is to do everything else, right? It's to plug in your machine. It's to keep it hashing. It's to keep it fully hashing and cooled properly. If a fan breaks or a hashboard has an issue, we, we fix it for you. That's what we do. So you're not megawatt pool and megawatt hosting. You're just hosting. Just hosting. Okay. And then it's down to the individual who owns the miners, which pool they direct their, uh, their hash rate to. Yeah. We don't mandate that anybody uses a specific pool. So whichever one is their favorite, we have recommendations of what we like and don't like. But if you're in love with one pool, that's fine. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, that there's a company that kind of a big flash in a pan came and went. I don't know if you heard of them, Pega, Pega Mining or Pega Pool as well. I did. I, All right. I did. Uh, they, they made a big thing at Mining Disrupt and then disappeared. Yeah, they, it was an amazing. It just, they, they, they splashed onto the scene at uh, Bitcoin Miami. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, they were all over the place with uh, sponsorships. So you, you realized, huh. There's some money behind this. Something's going on. Who the hell are these guys? Reached out. They started reaching out to all the podcasters uh, and trying to get on podcasts and, and trying to sponsor podcasts as well. Um, I don't think anybody took them up that that I'm aware of. Uh, I had a chat with their marketing team, and they were going to have the the CEO come on the podcast, and that never transpired. And then they made a big splash at finding Disrupt as well in Miami. And then like three days later, like the, the classic rug pull, like, wow. Yeah. And it's just their, their marketing was, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here. I, I think it's all over their Twitter, but their marketing was, we mine, they were a British, British-based company. I, the, the company was registered in the UK and their mining was uh, all green, uh, like the greenest mining company around you know so they're using the old flashy language esg Mm -hmm. narrative and all of that and they were using hydro and wind 
mining facilities in like Norway or Finland or somewhere like Scandinavia, I don't know. Uh, and then it, like you look deeper into it and basically all they were doing was renting rack space at just some random data center that wasn't specifically for mining Bitcoin, renting the rack space, jamming in some ASICs under the, you know, sure, that facility was probably powered by hydro or wind or whatever, but that was their mining facility. Very, very dodgy marketing when you realize what was actually going on. And then they were pushing the pool. Uh, so a lot, apparently a lot of people started using that pool and lo and behold, we have to suddenly shut, uh, try and withdraw your Bitcoin, make sure you've got it off. Like, yeah, like another freaking rug pull in the mining world. It's like you said, the wild, wild west still in many cases. Yeah. And I know parts of their story. I just remember seeing them start hitting blocks out of nowhere on mempool. And I said, what is this pega thing? Pega pool. I, I didn't even know about their hosting, if I'm being honest. But what I heard uh, them say, I forget the exact dollar amount for mining disrupt, but they had some deal where it was going to be free 0% pool fees until Bitcoin hit some amount, like 60,000 or 65,000 uh, US dollars, which I just go back to really basic business. Like why pick that number and how are you funding this until that number hits, which you also have no control if and when that number hits. So if it hits tomorrow, I'm sure that they would have done well, right? But what if it takes until the halving? What if it takes after the halving? What if it takes longer? I don't like betting on things that I have very little control over. And I think that's largely what they were doing. Now, whether it was a scam beyond that, I, I don't know, but that didn't make sense on the surface. And then their tweet in the middle of the night that said, hey, it's regrettable, but you know we're gonna have to shut down. We promise we'll get your Bitcoin, but details on that later, right? That's a classic rug pull. Oh, sorry, plebs, for anybody listening that was uh, caught up in that one as well. Um, so, yeah. how does your for those listening that might be interested? I mean, I have a couple of S nines that are very, very, very nice pleb in the US shipped across to me to to have a, you know, a little tinker around with. And we had them plugged in for a little while in the winter, but during the summer months, there's just absolutely no reason to be pumping heat into any part of your house. And you don't want to be paying like ridiculous energy costs, very steep here, residential electric, uh, electricity costs in, the, in, in France. What, how, do you, how do you work it for people? Do they, can they buy uh, ASICs? from you and have you host them or do they need to buy them separately and ship it to you? What's kind of like, and what would be the best method for, for anybody listening? Yeah, we do both. Uh, we take people who had a bad experience somewhere else. That's a lot of our clients. And then we take in their, their miners. Typically we'd prefer newer ones um, just because they're profitable, more predictable uh, longer. Or, or if somebody needs help, we can also, we have trusted vendors that we use. We're happy to, we don't make a lot of money on that or anything like that. Pass that along to customers and guide them to where here's what an S19 XP costs versus an M50, what's minor, something like that. Um, but my job, I think, and this is both for hosting, but also I'm thinking about our personal fleet of miners. My job is to try to smooth out some of that risk, right? Because again, I can't control the price of Bitcoin. I can't control the difficulty. So then it comes to what else can I control to at least offset some of those things that are uncorrelated. So what we do is we're part of the grid. 
So we have a lot of curtailment options with the grid and they're, they're opt-in. So where we have different pricing structures cents per kilowatt hour. If somebody really just wants to mine Bitcoin and they don't want to curtail all of that, they don't have to. We have a rate for 100% uptime and then anything below that, if we have 99% or something like that, we give credits back on a monthly basis that are calculated. If though, if they want say 95% uptime, we have these curtailment programs that we're involved in the grid. So when it gets really hot or really cold, the grid will actually pay us to turn off or curtail some or all of our capacity. And then there's options beyond that all the way down, I think to 85% is what we offer. So the idea is we want to have all these levers. So I'm just imagining the having is scheduled for roughly April or May of next year. Uh, I hope Bitcoin goes up in price. I hope difficulty stays the same, but living in a world where maybe that doesn't happen, at least not right away, and the reward gets cut in half, what can we do to keep these miners profitable? And curtailment is one of those options. The having happens to be at the beginning of a really hot season, which typically curtailment prices go up then. So that's actually really good timing. Um, beyond that, a lot of these miners now have low power mode to where we can switch them into low power mode. There's all sorts of levers that we're trying to pull to essentially smooth out some of that risk because weather patterns aren't correlated to the price of Bitcoin necessarily, which isn't as much correlated to difficulty. So we're trying to have these levers so that we can keep our stuff hashing. And it's a very competitive business, right? Because hash rate is only going one way. Yep. Absolutely. Hmm. hmm. Where do you see, like five years from now, where where do you see, like what's the vision of the business? Are you just going to keep growing and adding as many machines as possible? Or is the trick to get as as lean as possible with uh, like the the new technology that's going to be coming out. I mean, we've, we've got this talk of like an Intel chip coming out. That's going to be, you know, yeah. eons times better than, than anything else in an ASIC at the moment. Where, where, where do you kind of envision this and, and, you know, what's the, what's the plans behind the scenes that you're allowed to share with us? I'll share everything. Honestly, that's the beauty of not having investors is I can kind of say what I want. I, I can't predict the future. Don't have a crystal ball for five years. But I think that's what's so cool about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining is it's changing every day. And it's not just the price of Bitcoin and that, that matters, right? There's so many other things you can do. So sure, the, the simple thing is we'll keep upgrading our uh, miners from S19 J Pros to S19 XPs. If and when the 21 comes out, I'm sure we'll have that. So great, that, that's one factor of the business. But then there, there's more, right? So the US, for example, North America, I guess, has nine different energy grids to where right now we're located in something called PJM Interconnect. Um, actually, funny enough, that's where our mining site is in our office where I'm sitting today. Down the street, I can walk to a completely different power grid headquarters called MISO. Hmm. So for example, we can set up a second farm, second Bitcoin mining farm in a completely different energy grid, which have different curtailment prices and different energy rates, different seasonality, depending on the states that they're in. So that further uh, diversifies the risk profile there. Uh, we've had conversations with two separate companies that have cow poop and pig poop that they're turning into energy. Yeah. So these guys, they have expertise there and all their tax credits and all the stuff that I know nothing about, but they are will they have extra energy that they want to make some money off of and they need heat. 
So we come in, we put down a container of, of S19s or whatever variant of ASICs. They have a generator that we plug into. We pay them for their electricity and they use our heat uh, for all of their manure and things like that that they create. So we're having two separate conversations across multiple states there. I think that's a cool other opportunity. And then we've become, I, I'll shy away from saying experts, experts, but we're very good at curtailment now in all of these programs to where we started working with other Bitcoin mines that we're friends with, because it's not that competitive of a space. We're more friends than competitors to help them uh, learn about these curtailment programs and how to help balance the energy grid. So that's another business opportunity. And what about like staffing these as you grow, there's going to be many, many job applicants, I'm sure, probably for I don't know, like engineering style jobs, electricians, mm-hmm. uh, people, just general maintenance, right? Swapping fans out when they're broken, all of this kind of stuff. And then depending on the facility, whether you're liquid cooling them or air cooling them, what, I mean, for, for the, the blue collar pleb out there that's looking to escape day-to-day life, do you foresee Bitcoin mining companies, hosting companies, uh, those that are running pools as a, a good place for them to go shopping to you know, add value and get out of fear and into a Bitcoin kind of uh, paying role? Uh, that's one of my favorite questions and cool stories, actually. So my last business, we had about 100, 150 people that worked there. And we're talking my college roommates, some of my best friends worked there that I'm still friends with this day. You'd think when I started a hosting company in Megawatt, that would be the first place I'd go to recruit. I've recruited zero people from that, that pool because they're not Bitcoiners. And Bitcoin mining, what we're doing, racking these ASICs in the dead of summer when it's hot, uh, it's not glamorous. It's like you mentioned, very blue collar. It frankly sucks if you're not into Bitcoin. And if you're not into Bitcoin, you're not going to last very long doing that job. You really have to love it. So what, what I did instead is I went to the local Indianapolis Bitcoin meetup. Uh, just a, one of my friends brought me there. I thought it was going to be a lot of make number go up people. I didn't think it was going to be a lot of true Bitcoiners. This is in early 2019. And I was floored with the, the talent that was there. Beyond just interesting conversations about Bitcoin, we're talking about software engineers. We're talking about actuaries. We're talking about people who have run warehouses before and they're Bitcoiners. To where every single person that we've recruited for the company came from the local Indianapolis Bitcoin meetup because it, as much as the job may be blue collar, I want to get my work done in the office to go up to the site because I truly actually love that stuff. Like that's not BS. Like I actually do. And everybody at our company, whether they're cleaning filters or writing code, we, we actually like going to the site and doing that stuff. So for anybody who wants to leave Fiat, Blue collar, white collar, if you're a Bitcoiner and into Bitcoin mining, I think it's a really cool opportunity. Yeah, I love to hear that. And there's, there are so many people trapped in fiat land and, that, that, you know, marketing, sales, anything that they can, especially mm-hmm. Bitcoin entrepreneurs that are just trying to bootstrap a company like yourself. Like you said, you know, I'm not a good sales guy. Come on, Bitcoin plebs who've been a salesman for 15 years. Yeah. Just reach out to any one of these companies and say, listen, I can come in, I can add value, I can work for you pro bono, after hours, weekends, whatever. Just give me a shot. I guarantee you that turns into a full-time role quicker than anybody could have ever imagined. Absolutely. One of our first guys, his name is Dean. He was an actuary. 
he had quit that job proactively. So credit to him for taking a risk before I met him. But then we met and he started doing a little bit of work for us and it became full-time very quickly. And that's the, the other part of running businesses and startups. There's some people we need to hire just based on skill set to do X, Y, and Z tasks. But I'm a really big believer that if somebody really talented comes across, I will bend the business to meet their skill set to work with them instead of saying, hey, I need A, B, and C skill set. And that's largely what we've done. We've met really talented people and we've started bending the business to meet their skills. Have you guys, uh, have you had a chat with Austin Hill from uh, Sinota before? You're aware of that company and what they do for Bitcoin mining companies? I have not talked to him, but I listened to your podcast with him. So familiar uh-huh. with them uh, through that. Yeah. They're I'll in Ohio, put... right? Pardon? I think they're in Ohio, I believe. Oh, good question. I'm not sure. But he did make it out to Riga and he gave uh, a, a talk at the Baltic Honey Badger about Sinoja and what they do. And, okay. Um, you know, streaming real-time, real-time payments, uh, you know, is it, an amazing um, opportunity, I think, to to really streamline your business and, and have those overheads accounted for every second of every day. So I'll, I'll mm-hmm. link you up with an email. I think there's a lot of synergy here that, uh, that you guys can talk about and perhaps there's uh, something to move forward with. All right. So absolutely. how much does it cost for somebody that's listening and thinking, you know what? I want to be part of the hash rate. I want to have at least one machine humming away, uh, at some kind of hosted facility, trustworthy, um, just to be, you know, part of the network in that manner. But where, where would they go around? How would they go about, you know, getting in touch, starting that? What would they expect to have to pay uh, you to host? Sure. Uh, you know, yeah. Give us, give us all those details. I'll, I'll give real numbers. Uh, at the same time, I'll throw the caveat in. It's like quoting the price of Bitcoin whenever this podcast comes out. I'm sure it'll change because the price of ASICs, it varies, right? Mm-hmm. New ones come out, the price drops, uh, Bitcoin pops up in price and vendors start charging more or less. I, I would say for uh, profitable ASICs today, you're looking at somewhere in between 1000 and 3500 bucks, depending on the latest and greatest S19 XP on the high end. If you wanted a S19 96 terahash, S19 J Pro 96 terahash, on the lower end of that spectrum. And then the power bill, depending on the amount of energy that those consume, we're talking somewhere between um, 120 and 200 bucks a month. Uh, those are high level numbers, but it's somewhere in between. And if, if they want to chat, again, zero pressure to actually host with us. Happy to give other names of other hosting companies too. But from an educational standpoint, I put together a Google sheet where they can plug in their miner, their, how much electricity consumes, what the hash rate is, and what they're paying per kilowatt hour. And it spits out some projections. They can say, I think difficulty will go up by this percentage. I think price will go up by this percentage. So it's kind of a choose your own adventure. Brains, I think, has something similar with Brains Insights online where you can plug in all these variables and it kind of spits out some projections. Now, the projections are just that. They're projections, so they're going to be wrong. But it allows you to kind of know what your risk profile is before actually committing to something. And what would one machine kind of give you on a, you know, an ROI? How many sats are you, you looking to get back? Well, that's a good question. I don't know sats off the top of my head. The idea is for it to be, there's different strategies, right? You can either pay, so using kind of the different types of companies that 
can do this. You can either pay your power bill in fiat and then hodl all of your Bitcoin, right? At which point you're on the Bitcoin standard, you just want it to ideally be profitable, but you don't really care. Or there's other strategies where we have clients where they, uh, I don't like this, we don't personally do this, but they sell part of their Bitcoin to pay their power bill, uh, at which point you just want to be above break even. And then you're stacking some stats every single month. Um, I, I don't know off the top of my head how right. many, but the idea is to be above break even. And when the price goes up, you know, you're doing well. Yeah, exactly. So another another thing I wanted to to chat with you about is because a lot of us face uh, when we're talking to noobs about Bitcoin, we face the uh, the fart around Bitcoin energy usage being bad for the environment, you know, all of that, boiling the oceans, the usual stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you, you know, I think we're getting better at overcoming. Uh, however they then will double down with, and it could be something here, what happens to all the secondhand machines, all of the e-waste? What is mm-hmm. going on there? Do, do you, How do you guys handle that? When you're upgrading machines, what happens to all those old ones that you're unplugging? Uh, because the classic landfill picture uh, can soon get banded around by all the fudsters. And it's like, oh, look at all this mm-hmm. electronic waste. And this is just for mining Bitcoin. And, you know, what's... um. What's the word there? Well, so there's there's two questions there, right? It's what do we do with e-waste as machines age? And then what about this whole ESG narrative, right? So the waste part, I actually think, again, going back to the principles of Bitcoin, it finds market efficiencies on its own, right? There, there's levers there. So if we're if our energy rate is X, certain machines are profitable, some age out. We have a mine in Indiana as well that we're friends with. And they recently had this problem. So I, I our, our machines are all still online because we have newer gen stuff. They had some older gen stuff. And they said that they found a buyer somewhere in Africa. And in Africa, they have, in this scenario, cheaper power, uh, maybe somewhat less reliable, but you can take older gen units. And there's, there's a way to offload that. I know there's a lot of projects in South America as well doing the same thing. Not to mention that if you're using, in America, uh, flared gas, you have lower energy costs as well. It might be a little bit intermittent depending on the generator, but there's all of these market opportunities where depending on what your energy costs are, that dictates what age computer or ASIC you have. So as you know, you start with grid, which is highest uptime, potentially highest quality, but while still affordable in our case, higher than say flared gas or energy costs in sub-Saharan Africa, there's where you can send those machines and those are opportunities for those people. Um, as far as ESG, I, I think it's a load of crap in a lot of ways. Uh, I, we help balance the grid to where, I, I don't know if the audience is familiar with peaker plants, but at least in America, these things are pretty prevalent where it's a plant oftentimes built with coal that is solely there to release congestion when there are peak times of energy demand. So hot days, cold days. Why are we doing that? Why are we building all these batteries when you can invest in better electrical infrastructure using Bitcoin mining as a way to actually buy that and pay off those investments? And then unlike a hospital or a vital business of some sort, if you want to curtail us, okay, we're happy to do that. So I actually think in a lot of ways, it helps build strong electrical infrastructure, not to mention in our case, we're in a portion of Indiana that uses a lot of nuclear uh, wind and solar to where we're like 80, 85% of 
carbon emission free just because of where we happen to be. Um, so there's, I don't think it's a valid argument anymore. I'll put it that way. No, it certainly isn't. And it, it's just a market built on absolute thin air, like literally. Like yep. the, you know, the carbon credit market that trades in God knows how many billions or uh, even trillions mm. per year is just uh, just another piece of financial wizardry just to plug into Wall Street. And it's just, it's awful, really, truly and complete and utter nonsense. Um, however, do you get to to play in that game? Are you awarded with carbon credits that you can like switch out for Bitcoin? We're not playing in the carbon credit game at all. I actually saw Apple announce their iPhone and new Apple watches, I think yesterday. And they had this oh. huge part of their presentation about how they're going to be carbon neutral by 2030. And they had Mother Nature playing a part in this video. They're buying oh carbon God. credits. Like that's that's what they're doing, which is not the same thing. Um, in our case, we don't play in that sandbox at all. But what I am really passionate about I'm not a politician. I don't know the first thing about politics, but I'm working really hard at passing uh, the right to mine bill or something similar to the right to mine bill in Indiana. Uh, so this is Dennis Porter and Satoshi Action Fund. They've done it in, I believe, Montana and Arkansas. Uh, so among other things, it's a, it's a Bitcoin bill, pro-Bitcoin bill, but it prevents power companies and states from discriminating against what you do with the electricity that you pay for. So if you and I pay for electricity and you want to hang Christmas lights or run an electric dryer or mine Bitcoin, you should pay the same as somebody that runs an office building or whatever similar business using similar electrical rates, as opposed to, at least in America, uh, there was a proposal so far has not gone anywhere from the Biden White House to do a, it's called a DAME tax, a digital asset mining energy tax, 30% for any electrical usage that's using Bitcoin mining should be taxed 30% higher than any other business using the same amount of energy, which is so wrong. It's the government picking winners and losers. So in our case, I'm working to pass this bill. We've already put some things in motion. So hopefully on the next leg legislative session in Indiana, it'll be proposed. Now, I, again, don't know too much about politics, so I don't know if it'll get passed, but I can promise it won't be for a lack of effort. And not only I think is it good for Bitcoin, but living in Indiana, I think it's so important for states like this to pass things for predictability. We're not asking for incentives or a penny. It's just making it predictable so that big Bitcoin mining businesses, much bigger than Megawatt, can invest in the state with confidence and bring those tax dollars or whatever the state cares about. Go build some roads, hospitals, and schools instead of playing these politic games of how to tax energy usage. And as you said before, like the, the Bitcoin mining machines can purely balance the grid. Like, so there's no downtime, there's no uptime, it's just a constant hum. Who wouldn't want that as a local politician? Crazy. Who, who wouldn't want complete and utter total safety of their power grid and electricity for their citizens on demand all the time, whether or not it's hot or a cold day? Like, you, you completely taken away. All of that worry that has, you know, besieged decision makers ever since electricity was invented, fixed. Bitcoin fixes. That's this. why I'm so. <laughs> Bitcoin fix. It's inevitable. Like it's just a matter of how long it will take for other people to realize it. Yeah, it's 
Yeah, I mean, it's getting the... When regulators and policymakers realize that this is a massive vote winner, that's when they'll switch. When they when they mm-hmm. can when they can see what we see, and they can see the societal impact that that would have, that's when they'll start shilling it and start uh, mm-hmm. not penalizing it, but giving discounts if they're going to play those games. And I like you, I don't agree at all with those games you should not discriminate against um uh, electricity use or any kind of uh, power use because like you said you incentivize certain businesses to flourish and destroy others and uh that that is not creative destruction that is you know monopolistic formation and mm-hmm. it's just completely wrecking society it's just so bad keep your noses out but if you want to win votes uh, understand what's going on here and this will stabilize the grid for your town your village your city whatever it might be yeah man it's just so obvious for us i guess because we learn about this stuff all the day, all day every day you're absolutely right that it, it's going to take votes to do it but I, I wish these politicians would just think one step beyond votes where I, I live in Indiana. I've, I've mentioned that I'm raising a family here to where I'm here for the long run. I'm not mm-hmm. in San Francisco. I'm not in New York city. I'm not in Singapore. I, I'm not in any of these places. So I think about what the competitive advantages here are and what the difficulties a state like Indiana has. And as much as I hope that the next great AI company comes out of Indianapolis, statistical probability says that it will more likely come out of San Francisco or someplace like that. There's just more capital investment there and all this other stuff. But you take these states like Indiana, we have a a strong electrical infrastructure. We have a lot of great universities and people are leaving the state because they're seeking jobs elsewhere in high tech. You have the ability to then miners here, create high paying tech jobs using electrical infrastructure that's already here just sitting dormant. It's crazy to me that we're not aggressively seeking these opportunities out much less potentially fighting them it's insanity all right let's switch to race car driving let's do it for those that uh that well they they would have seen your shirt at the beginning of the show you you decided to Mm. uh dip your toe into the uh auspicious world of sponsoring a race car and covering it with yes. Bitcoin logos to try and orange pill the fans. And uh, you were part of that spaces that we did because there's a, there's a, another initiative this side of the pond with the Bitcoin racing guys. Slightly different machines. Uh, they're racing Citroen C1s. Uh, Adam's racing around in a BMW M3. God knows how many horsepower. Did you even know that, like what, what he's racing around in? Uh, yeah, BMW M2 uh, CS, but couldn't tell you the horsepower. I'm learning, drinking out of a fire hose, learning about all the racing stuff, but it's been so much fun. Uh, and what's the tagline? To turning horsepower to hash power or something? Uh, am I getting that you, right? You got it. Uh, Adam came up with it. I'll give him and his wife, Mandy, the credit there. That's awesome. So, and, and are you guys, like, because what the uh, the Bitcoin racing guys do, um, they throw meetups at each event. And they They try and get as many plebs whether you like racing or not, get down there, meet the team, meet the guys. You can get inside the cars. It's such a fun family day out. You've seen a lot of uh, people coming out and showing support. 
So this will be in Indianapolis in October, the eighth race of the season. Uh, so a few of the other races before, either travels across America. It's been in cities like New Orleans. It's been in Austin. It's been in Sonoma. So we've gone out. We've invited uh, some friends, some Bitcoiners, some, all that, just to have fun, mainly because we were learning. We're, we're not professional event hosts or anything like that. But as we've learned and we've talked to more people, the final race of the season just happens to be in Indianapolis, happens to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So we've created this thing called, we call it Bitcoin Race Weekend. So it's October 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th. So the 6th, we're hosting a much bigger version of the in Indianapolis uh, Bitcoin Meetup. So we're hosting that for plebs that want to fly in. Saturday, there's the race with Adam's Bitcoin car in the morning. Then there's something called the Indy 8-hour, which is a much longer race with different cars, but people can stay for that. And then Sunday, there's another race that Adam's in. So it'll be two races and a meetup that we're trying to stretch over the, the whole weekend for fun, Bitcoin-related things to do. Uh, Mega, we bought all the tickets. So I think we have you know, well over 100 signups from Bitcoin clubs, uh, some in Indiana, but a lot of people coming from all over the country flying in. We're going to do a tour of our Bitcoin mine for anybody who wants to drive up. So just more fun Bitcoin things. Awesome. And does it cost for people to get into the track on race day? So we're covering that as megawatts. So it'll be free for any Bitcoin clubs that want to come. How did I reach you? So I think it's on Orange Pill app. Um, if they have trouble finding it for any reason, our website, which is megawatthq.com slash race, uh, that works. We, you can contact me on Twitter. I'm Ilya X Indy uh, at Twitter. Uh, we have a Twitter handle and a Nostra handle, uh, BTC Race Weekend. So we're all over the place. And what's been the kind of the feel in the paddock when a Bitcoin car turns up all of a sudden? Because usually these cars are covered in like the usual shit, you know. Um, mm. uh, now there's a Bitcoin car there. And I, I've had a chat with Adam. Obviously, he's been on the show and the Bitcoin racing guys in the UK as well. And they get approached a lot with the altcoin projects and um, mm -hmm. want to just throw money at the thing because it looks like a green light to them. Oh, look, you know, he's got crypto on the car. We can get this on there. And they've been very adamant, like, no, we don't want to take the money, which is very unlike a racing team. So they are really kind of shining, uh, leading by a shining example to other teams that, yeah, you can stay alive in this sport and you can ethically choose your sponsors you don't have to just take the money that comes your way first thing what's um yeah uh, uh, hopefully other bitcoin companies will come forward and uh, and be able to join the uh, the sponsorship team but uh, is there any any news on that front or is it just purely all megawatt for now i'll say this uh, megawatt we've had a great experience and i didn't expect a return on our investment but there's been way more interest both in Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining from us sponsoring the card conversations we've had than I ever expected. So we're, we're definitely in for next season. So that, that'll take care of itself. Uh, I can't give away too much. You'll have to ask Adam uh, for the other sponsors, but there's at least two Bitcoin companies. I know that he's had very deep conversations with that. My guess was we'll price out megawatt to where we just won't have have the funds to to be the title title sponsor, but we'll still you know support Adam and put 
you know, Bitcoin and megawatt on the car somewhere. But I, I think it's, if it hasn't already been signed and, you know, taken off, I think next year you'll see a very cool, still very Bitcoin car with no shit coins or anything like that on there, just Bitcoin. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. That That's so good to hear that, uh, that the community are, are stepping up and, and helping out. Um, yeah, and, and fingers crossed the same happens this side as well with the Bitcoin uh, racing guys because they uh, they just need that that little injection, you know, and they can get themselves up to the, the next formula, into the minis and uh, get uh, get Chris racing around in that. And that gets in front of something like 4 million viewers and just to have a Bitcoin car in, in that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, there, there's two, right? There's there's the video viewership of people that just watch it on YouTube or on TV and they see a Bitcoin car, which is awesome. And that's definitely a bigger bucket of people. But then if, speaking from a sponsor perspective, I think about what we're doing and the impact it's having with talking to clients and building a community and what else we would have spent the money on. And I think about conferences. In my last business, we had this huge conference budget. We'd have this booth that we'd set up. We'd take clients out to dinner. And I'll never forget working this booth and you're just trying to lock eyes with people as they're walking by. They don't want to talk to you. They just want to enjoy whatever city they're in. You're trying to lure them to your booth for this five minute conversation to sell them something. It it works and it's a necessary evil, I guess, but it's not fun, right? It's not memorable. Maybe then you take them out to dinner or something like that. Versus here, we have a race car. Hey, come to Indianapolis or come to Austin you can go to the paddock. You can meet the driver. The driver is a Bitcoiner. He mines Bitcoin. There's all these other cool race car drivers there. You watch this race. It's the most memorable experience. It's kid friendly. You're hanging out, just watching Adam try to get a podium finish, which he got. He got second in one of these races, so he's he's done a lot better than we expected. And I think uh, he'll crush it here in Indianapolis and going into next year. So I think it's it's more memorable. It's more fun. It's less salesy. Like, why wouldn't you do something like this over spending a ton of money going to yet like another conference? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, the race car, you've got a booth there that moves at 250 kilometers per hour, right? So much more. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. All right, man. Well, let's wrap it up. I got to ask you the final question. If you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? That's a good question. Um, So... I mentioned before, I think Bitcoin, I truly believe it's inevitable. Like I think a lot of people, I'll say everybody will eventually get orange pills. So I won't give the serious answer. I'll give more, I'll call it a fun answer. So in Indianapolis, we have this somewhat crazy, but lovable owner of the Indianapolis Colts football team. He's a billionaire. His name is Jim Ursay. Uh, he's, he's in a rock band. He's, he's been on house arrest before. A few weeks ago, he tried to pay something like $20 million to fly an orca, like a whale across the country from Miami to California. He's very eccentric. Definitely not a Bitcoiner, but I think it would be so much fun to orange pill him because I feel like he would immediately sell the team, get even more money, build like a Satoshi statue and fly plebs all across the country to do more Bitcoin meetups and cool club events. So I think that'd be more fun. Awesome. All right. Well, let's hope he listens one day. Let's hope so. All right, man. Well, thank you uh, so much for coming on. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you you wanted to get off your chest or make sure people knew how to get a hold of you? And I think we covered everything with the hosting. 
Yeah. Uh, Bitcoin race weekend, more than hosting, more than anything else. Come hang out, come watch a cool race car, come meet a hundred, 200 clubs that are going to be in Indianapolis. It'll be a good time. October 6th through 8th. Uh, just search Bitcoin race weekend or BTC race weekend on Twitter or Noster and you'll find us or an orange pill app. Perfect. I wish I could be out there, man. I, I love motor racing. And uh, yeah, I wish I'd be out there with the plebs just uh, getting to meet everybody. But uh, maybe next year, you never know. Our movements might be different. So appreciate you coming on, mate. And appreciate yeah. everything you're doing in the Bitcoin space, supporting uh, you know the Bitcoin team. I think that's huge. Well done, because it's very, very difficult for, for people to find sponsors, uh, especially in what people are terming a bear market. Uh, so yeah, kudos to you. Thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. And my hope with Bitcoin race weekend is to make it successful this year and then do it again next year and the year after that. So we'll get you out here for one of them. And podiums. We want some podiums, but that's oh, down to Adam. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'll give, I'll give him a pep talk. See you later, Ilya. Great to meet you. Thank, thanks a lot, Daniel. You too. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Ilya and you learned a lot about the mining business and Megawatt and what they can uh, provide for you. If you are interested in buying some of your own ASICs and having Megawatt and Ilya host them for you, do your own research, reach out to Ilya first, get out, meet him face to face, get a tour, an actual tour of one of these uh, warehouses, meet the people that are working there. That's what you need to do before you start committing to any kind of uh, venture in, in hosting because there are some horror stories out there. Just the last two years, Compass Mining being the poster child, but then Pega Pool as well, or Pega Mining. So please do your own research, get out there, make sure that um, you're, you're comfortable and this is something that you want to do for the next at least three to five years. This, this can't be something that you take uh, too lightly. If not, just stack your sats. <laughs> it's that simple. Buy the underlying asset. Asset. Make sure you take complete and total self-custody. You are the only one able to, uh, to reach those Bitcoin and sit back and watch the magic happen over the next three to five years. So there, there are your two options. Anyway, reach out to Ilya if you'd like to learn more. Thank you, Ilya, for coming on. Really uh, inspiring to learn about what's going on over there with Megawatt and let's hope keep our fingers crossed for next season that Adam can get up on the podium and um, keep pushing forward the the message of Bitcoin for all of you rev heads living out to the US get get in touch with Adam get in touch with Ilya go and support create a meetup at every race day this is what's been happening on this side of the pond with Bitcoin racing uh, a real pleb initiative they're racing in the city classic car cup uh, around different uh, venues around the UK, including Silverstone, including Brands Hatch and Snetterton, uh, and some of the other big named race courses. And they throw Bitcoin meetups there every time. And you can check these events. Head over to Orange Pill app, download Orange Pill app, pay you four euros or four bucks a month, whatever it is, fee, uh, to keep away the scammers and the bots and connect with high signal Bitcoiners. All the events are listed there. And then you can find out as well who's near you or around uh, your part of town and go and meet up and create your own meetup and, uh, and help start orange pilling some bars, restaurants, cafes, barbers, whatever it is in your area. So orange pill app, get over there. And then look into taking your family to Bitcoin Atlantis conference next year in Madeira. 
It's going to be a huge one. Lots of families are already committed to coming. This is going to be a great event. There's even going to be a little uh, side stage. We're hoping to set up for, for kids to be asking questions of Bitcoiners. We've got people like uh, Michael Saylor coming over, Jeff Booth. Uh, Lynn Alden, Jack Mallers, Jack Dorsey, Natalie Brunel, and so, so many more. We're all going to be there. We're looking forward to it. There's going to be a golf event on the 27th of February. Get over to Bitcoin Atlantis on Twitter and make sure you are following for all of the updates. Look forward to catching you guys soon. See you on the next show.